0: What up world? It's your past 1st point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by the good folks at Built Bar. Make sure you go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. Today's show, we're talking about the elephant in the room, That elephant that's the NBA's leading scorer for the past three seasons, James Harden, who has reportedly expanded his list of trade acceptable trade destinations to include your Portland Trail Blazers. Talk about what that means and all all of its permutations in this first segment. But the Blazers also played a basketball game while the rumor mill was churning. They beat James Harden and the Houston Rockets in overtime. What I want to do to close out the show is talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly from those games. What we learned from, from Game 2, uh, the Blazers now 1-1, one and one, so we've got a much larger sample size than when we last spoke. We're now up to two whole games. It's a 100% increase for those of you who enjoy math. But here in the first segment, let's talk about the big news. According to Kelly Eco and Sam Amick of The Athletic, James Harden has expanded his list of, of acceptable trade destinations. Oh, how nice it is to be a star in the NBA when you can tell your uh, incumbent team, where you'd like to be traded. The list previously only included the Brooklyn Nets and uh, Philadelphia 76ers. It was expanded later to include the Miami Heat and Milwaukee Bucks. And now it includes the Boston Celtics and your Portland Trail Blazers. Oh my goodness. The Blazers, a preferred destination for a certifiable superstar former league MVP. We have finally made it there. Uh, Blazers not exactly a a traditional destination for these types of players, so it is significant I think nonetheless for Harden to to add the Blazers to the list, regardless of sort of viability. Uh, it just being just being named is important for a team that would never have been considered in past iterations of superstar forcing his way out. I think there's a couple details to sort through. First of all, it would be what would the Rockets want. I think that's step one, right, when you're creating a trade. What would they want? Previously, it was a blue-chip player. It was Ben Simmons plus draft picks. The Blazers do not have Ben Simmons plus draft picks. Uh, even if your opinion of CJ McCollum is extremely high, you would be silly to think that he is on the same level as Ben Simmons as a basketball player, as sort of where he's at in his career. Simmons is younger, better at basketball, and has a sort of graph that could, heading in a direction where he could get much better at basketball. So, CJ McCollum is a good basketball player. Ben Simmons, he is not. So if the Rockets were to start uh, discussing a deal with the Blazers, it would mean that their sort of the asking price has gone down. Instead of blue chipper plus draft picks, we're now moving to pretty solid basketball players plus draft picks. Second, the Blazers already have traded their 2021 draft pick away in a deal with these same Houston Rockets. I believe it ended up being a three-team deal. Uh, Detroit got involved, but in any case, the Blazers have already sent out their 2021 draft pick. So if they can't send out 2022. Then That means that the earliest draft picks, if we're talking multiple picks to acquire James Harden, would be 2023 and 2025. You cannot trade... Uh, NBA League rules do do not allow you to trade draft picks in multiple years. You cannot trade first-round draft picks in consecutive seasons. So because the Blazers do not have their 2021st, means the earliest trade they can make is 2023. If the Rockets are thinking long-term that that difference probably isn't that huge, um, although 2021 is supposed to be a great draft class, so maybe another team that can get the Rockets into that draft class can sweeten the deal. In general, I don't think the Blazers would have the best offer. If the if the Rockets have been turned off by the idea of Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis Lavert plus draft picks, I can't imagine that C.J. McCollum, Anthony Simons, and Gary Trent Jr. plus draft picks gets gets you any further. That said, I've seen a couple of you propose these trade ideas to me online already. Um, I don't think the Blazers would have to include C.J. and Yusuf Nurkic, but I do think that they have trouble making a a draft package if it's just a team and is a two team trade that is particularly sexy. I don't. Gary Trent Jr. is their best prospect, right? But he's entering free agency this summer. That would mean the Rockets would trade uh, James Harden, who they don't want to pay, and they want to famously get cheaper, and then they'd have to shell out to get Gary Trent Jr., or just keep him on the roster briefly and kind of um, salary dump James Harden, that seems like a mistake. Obviously, CJ McCollum is under contract for a few more years, which actually thinks makes him less palatable for a team like the Rockets. If you're trying to tank paying CJ McCollum or in trying to get cheaper, paying CJ McCollum $35-plus million a year through 2024 is not exactly direction moving forward. Avery Simons and Zach Collins. Collins entering free agency makes him sort of less appealing because you'd have to re-sign him to a contract. And Simons, I don't think his value is super high around the league. I just don't think the Blazers have blue chippers. That said, if Harden makes it clear that this is where he wants to go, there's a way that the Blazers could get it done. I I guess, theoretically, you just got to include more draft stuff. Um, Maybe you can loop in another team to make it happen. I just... I. My concern is if the Rockets really want to trade James Harden, the Blazers do not compete with the other suitors in terms of what they could give up. That doesn't mean it won't happen. It just means that the Rockets would be settling for a worse deal. Wouldn't be the first time that a team with a disgruntled star had to settle for a worse deal. Just ask the Minnesota Timberwolves what they got back for Jimmy Butler. Any trade that includes James Harden is going to include CJ McCollum and he spoke about that after the game telling reporters basically you know I see the reports and I can do the math we play the same position so if you trade for a shooting guard you know who's going to get traded whether this impacts CJ McCollum is sort of something to be seen he was obviously awesome against Houston in game one he seems like the kind of guy that um, would not be necessarily impacted by it Um, just sort of his his approach to the game he's always kind of you know, small school, big dreams type of guy plays with a chip on his shoulder. I think being on the being mentioned in trade rumors may even help CJ a little bit with motivation. I'm not sure motivation impacts his actual basketball play, but you get it. I'm not particularly worried about that aspect of um of the rumor mill. But the big thing to me, and what this really signals, what I what I think this is actually like the big deal that is sort of hiding under the headlines, is that means Damian Lode has changed his approach a little bit. Between James Harden expanding his list of preferable, acceptable destinations, whichever word you want to use, and the um, kind of nothing burger, Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, or excuse me, Damian Lillard doing some light recruiting on Giannis Antetokounmpo. Between those two things it makes me seem like Damian Lillard, for the first time in his career, is recruiting active stars to join him. I'm not saying that J- that Damian Lillard is driving the bus and saying... Um, you know, James, get traded here. I'll get rid of everybody for you. But I have no doubt that they have spoken because why would James Harden include the list without speaking with Dame first, right? Like it just it just follows. So that means, well, I don't know if it means anything, but here's my read on it. Damian Lode is 30 years old. He's entering season number nine in the NBA and he gets it. He knows that to win an NBA title, his ultimate goal, you need two top 10 players on your team. And maybe the most recent example of a team not having two top 10 players in the team is the Toronto Raptors who had probably three dudes in the top 30 in the league with, with Siakam and Lowry who are just really, really good players next to Kawhi Leonard. Um, Really good role players like Marcus Sol and, and, and and Danny Green. Like you can, it seems like you can do it maybe if you have, you know, one of the best five players in the league or someone who's arguably the best player in the NBA in Kawhi Leonard at the time Um, and some really good complimentary parts. But, Basically the other the last fifteen championships have been won by teams that have at least two top ten players. It's the it's the route forward. The Blazers neither have two top ten players or the collection of high-end talent like that 2019 Raptors team, which also got some good injury luck around what happened with the Warriors. Damien Lord has seen that. He knows that he knows the deal. So he has changed his approach. He is now actively courting players. Maybe not full on LeBron James, um, like consummating the trade and then getting the two other teams to figure out how to make it happen. But between reaching out to Giannis Antetokounmpo and getting to work out, or at least like trying to make that happen, I don't even know how real it is. Like I said, it's a bit of a nothing burger. If you don't know what I'm talking about, my most recent podcast, I discussed this, Damien Lillard was supposed to work out with Giannis Antetokounmpo, and there was a report basically that they had discussed playing together. And between that and James Harden expanding his list, and I can only assume James and um, and Dame have spoken. That Dame is a guy who was sort of anti-super team because he doesn't want to leave. Is now saying, "Can I build? Can I bring another top ten talent here?" This means that I think Dame has respect of his peers. It means that he kind of gets where he's at in his career timeline-wise, and that he is willing to change his approach and say, "Hey, let's let's take a big swing." To me, the big news here is that Damian Lillard is on board with building a powerhouse because he knows that winning good chemistry will get the Blazers to the Western Conference Finals. Great players will get them to a championship. You can, be, you can get along and play well and probably make the Western Conference Finals, but no amount of team chemistry is going to give you the type of top-end talent it takes to win an NBA championship, straight up. I, I believe that, which gets me to my final point on this James Harden stuff. I would do this trade. If you've listened to this podcast before, other people have pitched, like, you know, in a vacuum, would you trade for James Harden? I would do it in a vacuum. I would do it in the aggregate, to use another Neil Olshave phrase, but I would just do it. I would do it. I, James Harden seems like a bad co-worker. He seems like someone who's tough to get along with. He seems like a a stubborn personality, but he's also one of the five best scorers in the league. He's probably the best pure scorer in the league, one of the 10 best players in the league, and pairing him with Damian Lord gives the Blazers a bit of a much larger slice of championship equity. They go from extreme long shot to just sort of regular dark horse, um, depending on what they give up and and who's still on the roster. It's it's an obvious big risk and harden has this season next season and a player option for 21 22 on his or excuse me 20 uh 223 on his on his uh contract right so you're looking at parts of two seasons potentially three full seasons when you have um, a legitimate chance and my thing is that this could blow up a trade for james harden could absolutely blow up it could it could submarine this franchise but if you, if the goal is to win a championship, to win a, a single championship, trading for James Harden gets you much closer than hoping this team gels. That's just the cold hard facts of it. That's just, it's just. Th- there are more risks with trading for James Harden than there are for not. You have a, you have a higher floor with hoping that this team gels, hoping that your depth all works out, that you figure out what to do with uh, the wonky second unit, and and you kind of you know that you're not probably going to bottom out with this group that you're going to be decent competitive james harden could could totally subvert that he could kill your uh, your depth because of what you have to give up in a trade and put and and potentially have this team bottoming out in 2 years if he decides to leave right but in in the short term you have a much better chance of competing for a title and if that is the stated goal it is not some sort of um Practice in sustainability where you're supposed to like maximize how kind of good you can be for the longest, for the cheapest, which I think is a lot of the ways fans look at the NBA now. Money be damned, depth be damned. If you can acquire a player this good, even if he seems like really hard to deal with, you do it. You, you For me, at this stage, with, with where Dame is his career and kind of where the franchise is now, you give it your best shot. You see if you can get it done. I'm skeptical that you can the Blazers can get a James Harden trade done, but if it is there, I am all in favor of doing it. I understand why you would disagree with me, but for me, it's you get you get as much talent, you may get as much top end talent as you can. Uh, the you'd rather have two players who are the ten best players in the league than eight players in the top hundred. The Blazers certainly don't have that, but you get what I'm saying. Top end talent is what wins in the league. If you have a chance to acquire it, you do it. You do what it takes to do it. So I'm in favor. You're you're welcome to tell me that I'm wrong at Mike on Twitter or locked on Blazerspot at gmail.com. All right, in the second segment, let's come back and talk about the Blazers' game. They played a real basketball game. We didn't just live in rumors. We lived in a world where the Blazers beat the Houston Rockets in overtime to win their first game of the season. In the second segment, I want to talk about what we saw from that, what we can what we can learn after the Blazers won a basketball game and are now 1-1 one one on the season. But before I do that, I want to tell you all about betonline.ag. The NBA season is here, which means you can get your bets in on regular season games, prop bets on each individual game, or you can make some futures bets on the Blazers' chances to win the championship or Dame's chances to win the MVP. That's right, get some hardware. But if you want to make bets, there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, and that's betonline.ag. So sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. And don't forget to use that promo code On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right. So we talked James Harden trade in that first segment. Try to give you the full ins and outs, what it might take to get it done, why the Blazers might not be viable, and why I would do it in a heartbeat before we get into the blazers playing an actual basketball game they beat the houston rockets on saturday night i want to tell y'all about locked on bets look betting betting on the nba betting on the trailblazers doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new locked on bets podcast hosted by your boy q and handicapping expert lee sterling get daily picks and quick hang advice to make the smartest possible wagers you can subscribe to locked on Bets. Wherever you already get podcasts, wherever you get Locked On Blazers, Locked On Bets is there for you. All right. So the Blazers played a real basketball game against James Harden, the man of the hour. The one in overtime. I think if you're new to this podcast, welcome. Really happy to have you on board. This is not a place where you're gonna get recaps and game previews. The the NBA moves too quickly. Each individual each Each individual game isn't particularly boring, but what I do want to talk about the game and see what we can learn moving forward. You can still learn from watching the games. I'm still going to watch them right along with you. But a quarter-by-quarter recap of what happened isn't particularly valuable in my eyes. Find that somewhere else. Here, you're going to get analysis that looks at the big picture using the small picture stuff, the little details to get us the big picture. So what were the little details? I think this was proof of what the Blazers offense, offense can look like when it's ugly but effective, right? Um, we talked about this in uh, some shows prior to the season starting. I think the Blazers are going to be an elite offensive team, but I also don't know if they're going to be a high assist team. This, this particularly in the first half when the Blazers were falling behind, the offense was just ISO heavy. I, I We'll talk about the second unit coming up. Um, they're just, you just have too many players who like to like to operate in isolation. I think that's an issue, but even the even the first unit, they really didn't start to move that ball until late in the second half, when uh, when James or when excuse me when Yusuf Nurkic was working the the pick and roll and and being a playmaker out of the middle. He can do more of that. Nurk was not particularly good in this game, but he was definitely way 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 better. Uh, I thought the Blazers turned up the intensity in the second half. I think defense gets reduced too much in the NBA. To did they try or did they not try? I think that kind of uh, misses the the actual sort of like intelligent execution you need to get to play defense. But the Blazers played obviously harder in the second half and that um changed the outcome of this game but but more importantly more than just sort of like effort equaling beating a team that was um really shorthanded like the Rockets were they only had nine healthy players five of which I believe that the Blazers broadcast kept harping on that were undrafted as if um Christian Wood not getting drafted makes him worse now than something I'm not 100 not sure how that works but um regardless the Blazers' offense was still kind of ugly in this game, particularly early. Uh, the assist numbers ended up being okay, so if you're just looking sort of at assist percentage stuff or raw assist totals in general, you might not get the full sense that you did if you watch the game. This is this is a watch-the-game nerds tip. But the, the offense was still ugly. The ball movement is an issue. It's one pass, and then a guy goes to work. CJ McCollum was fantastic in this game, but he did what he does, which is make a bunch of tough shots. Um, he was... Truly elite, like a truly elite score. And this is why I'm saying I think the Blazers can be a good offensive team, even if it's ugly. And I think this was a perfect example. I don't think the offense flowed particularly well. I think they um, they didn't stay with their stuff after the initial action on most cases. There was a lot of sort of standing and watching after like a, maybe an initial screen wouldn't work. And then it was like, hey, Dame, can you bail us out? Hey, CJ, can you bail us out? And, and in this case, in this instance, yes, they could. So this is kind of what I see them moving forward is they, it, you look at, you watch the game you say, this offense stinks. Then you look at the overall numbers and you're like, Hey, they can really score. I think they can be effective, but ugly. And I think this is kind of an example of it. The other thing I thought we saw moving forward is the thing that I've kind of been clamoring for as we discussed the Blazers' defense so much in the early part of the season and in preseason is not to overall overhaul the defense entirely and saying we used to play this one way, now we're going to play another way, but to do different things. And the Blazers did that against the Rockets, including implementing a zone defense that was terrible. The zone defense was terrible in transition. The Blazers kept getting confused on who to pick up. They gave a bunch of easy looks in transition. They gave up an open three out of the zone. The zone sucked. But the Blazers gave very defensive looks. And I'm in favor of it. I'm in favor of a little bit of drop coverage where you sag the big man on pick and rolls. I'm in favor of a little bit of uh, harder hedging where you come out and show at level of the screen and then try to... scramble back and recover and get everyone um, helping the helper and and everyone connected on defense. I'm in favor of mixing in a little zone from time to time and trying to leverage uh, Derek Jones Jr. And, and uh, Robert Covington a little bit. I'm in favor of all those things. I'm not saying it's going to work. I don't think, I don't even think the defense was good in this game against the Rockets. I think it was timely. You know, they got a, a crucial stop at the very end of the game when, Robert Covington deflected a James Harden pass, but if nothing about watching the team's defense until that final possession makes you think, hell yeah, they did it. They came up with a couple crucial steals, but they also, um, you know, took a five-point lead in overtime and then immediately gave it back because they couldn't guard Harden one-on-one. It's that's not an easy task, but it isn't exactly the sign of an elite defense that they got one turnover at the end of the game. It was good news. Good to see it. I'm glad to see Stotts mixing up his defense. I think that, I think mixing up the defense for me is more valuable. Um, And in any case, like I said, the Rockets were, they had nine healthy bodies, um, a bunch of people who I don't even know who they are. Um, I feel like I know every, every player in the NBA. Um, Like I know who David Nwaba is. I like David Nwaba. Good to see him back from the Achilles injury, but Nwaba is not a high level NBA player. I didn't know who Jay Sean Tate was until I watched that game yesterday. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't exactly know Sterling Brown played for the Houston Rockets. I didn't know who Broderick Thomas was, a rookie from on Houston. I don't know who these dudes are. So it was important for the Blazers just to win this game because you gotta win the winnable games. Like you, you just need to beat um, below average teams, and that Houston Rockets roster was a below average team as good as as Harden was, and as close as he kind of um, dragged them back at the end of the game. I think you just you just got to win some ugly ones. The Blazers did that, and it was and it was valuable. All right, we talked about the offense. We talked about changing the defenses. Uh, let's let's get into some specifics. There's some there's some sort of rotation notes I want to close out the show with. Talk about Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr., Carmelo Anthony, and the Blazers' starting and now closing lineup. And before we get there, I want to tell y'all about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. That's it. That's the trick. They made delicious protein bars the best that they're ever going to be. If you have if you're someone who's eaten protein bars in the past, you know that some of them are chalky and gross. Well, Bill Bar's not making chalky and gross. They're making delicious bars. They come in 18 amazing flavors, all of them are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They got that candy bar-like texture. And if the deliciousness doesn't sell you, what if I tell you that they're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Take for instance, the peanut butter flavor, a personal favorite in this house. You grab a peanut butter, you grab a peanut butter built Bar, here's what you're getting. 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. I know there are worse options in your cabinet right now. So don't settle for something that tastes worse and isn't as nutritious. Don't do it. Just go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for 20% off at builtbar.com. Still a pass-first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening Locked on Blazers. we got other great shows coming for you this week. Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag segments. I record it on Monday nights and post it on Tuesdays. If you want to get involved in that mailbag show, just send me a tweet at MikeGRich or an email, lockedonblazerspod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. In addition to our weekly mailbag show, we got a great interview coming up this week. Jason Quick of The Athletic, my friend and yours. He's going to join us on Tuesday evening. That show will post Wednesday morning. Quick has been covering the Blazers better and longer than anyone in the game, and I'm really excited for him to share his insights on the show. So make sure you check out those, both Mailbag Monday and Wednesday show, an interview with Jason Quick of The Athletic. We got a lot of fun stuff this week. I'm excited. Closing out 2020 with some fun shows. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you check back. If you're listening to this show, make sure you come back for the others. They're all going to be good that kind of implies that some of the shows aren't good. I didn't mean that. all, all the shows are good. This week is going to be, this week is no exception, but there's some, there's some fun stuff planned. Mailbag Monday is always fun. Jason quick's always a fun. guy to talk to. Don't miss it. Come on back. All right. We talked about James Harden trade. We talked about the blazers, uh, sort of wonky, but efficient offense against Houston. A kind of ugly, but effective, which I kind of think will be their MO going forward. Um, and part of the reason why, uh, that will be their MO going forward is because it's just a personnel thing. Um, if you play a lineup that features Dennis Cantor, Carmelo Anthony, Roddy Hood, and CJ McCollum, it's not a lot of dudes who want to pass. If the fifth dude in that lineup is Anthony Simons or Gary Trent Jr., you have not added a playmaking element. You have added maybe some more offense. So, I just think the Blazers bench. I think the Blazers second unit, and I've seen a lot of people complaining about this, and I and I, I share your concerns. Carmelo looks. Carmelo looks just he looks old and bad right now. He's two games in. It's there's 70 left. Um I don't think it's time to uh to get your pitchforks ready, but this is This is the challenge with being stewards of his legacy. Remember when Neil Olshay said they were going to be stewards of his legacy and that seemed like a good thing? Well, it probably is in terms of the way you treat people at work, but it's it's a challenge when Carmelo Anthony is locked into 20 minutes, which he is definitely locked into, and playing poorly on both ends of the floor uh too many inefficient jump shots that aren't going in right now he's just not a good defensive player at this stage in his career and what the blazers are trying to do on defense don't don't exact hasn't exactly um clicked with him yet there was one possession when they were in the zone when mello was was he could have just flashed down to the shooter and he screamed corner at Annis Cantor, yelling at Cantor to recover from the paint to the corner. I'm sure that was Cantor's responsibility, but also Mello has to break the rules in order to prevent someone from taking a wide-open corner three. It's just stuff like that. You just see little little things like that. I'm not ready to bury Carmelo Anthony. Um, He's... But when you're like, hey, how can they fix this second unit? Why not bench mellow? Here's why you can't bench mellow. You can't be stewards of his legacy and promise him 20 minutes and then take it away from two games into the year. The Blazers have to they got to live with this for a little bit longer. Um, this is this will just take patience in figuring out how figuring out how it works, but because Mello is guaranteed those minutes, it means that the crunch is coming in other places. And the person who felt the crunch on Saturday evening was Gary Trent Jr., who I think we all agree, me and you dear listeners, that that stinks. <laughs> like what a stupid trade-off. Um Gary Chai Jr. is probably just a better basketball player than Carmelo Anthony. Certainly doesn't have a shiny resume, but he's like, I think he's better at helping you win than Melo is like right now, if you wanted to win a basketball game this evening, uh, that's maybe that's up for debate and maybe that's I'm slandering the legend Carmelo Anthony you can send me one of those need to apologize to mellow forms that are floating around the internet but I truly believe that in the second half Gary Jordan Jr. did not play instead Anthony Simons making his season debut came in for stats, and Simons was fine hit a couple threes looked good um, it was a totally reasonable trade-off but it is hard to play 10 guys Terry I talked about this in a podcast with Eric Anderson or last week or two weeks ago Terry's always been upfront about preferring to play a nine man rotation he thinks that's fair to like sort of the number of minutes you want to give guys so playing 10 is hard for him and if he chose to play nine in the second half and Gary Trent felt the crunch you could make the case and I would that Mello was the worst player on that bench which brings me to my next thought when I was going into the season I was projecting the starting lineup for y'all and I thought it would be Dame CJ Rodney Hood Robert Covington, and and Yusuf Nurkic. And it seems like Hood is not capable of doing that just because it's too many minutes right now. But my idea was, um, I'm not totally sold on... Derek Jones Jr. as a sort of elite defensive stopper. He certainly hasn't shown to be that yet. And I thought it would give some balance to offense and defense on the second unit. Um, Jones Jr. kind of like a random cutter, a guy who doesn't need the ball to be effective type of things. Whereas Hood is, is again, another isolation scorer or a spot-up shooter. He has a little bit more playmaking than maybe other guys on the second unit. So maybe you try to get Hood the ball a little bit so he can... um, he can distribute but that's not what he wants to do anyways he he too wants to take mid-range jumpers out of the post and spot up threes so what i'm saying is i still like that look i think rodney's um his his better shooting ability and his and his just sort of relative size. Uh, If he's healthy, I would still bang the drum for him to be starting over Derek Jones Jr. that I think it would bring a little more balance to the two groups. Um, I don't think it's viable right now with Rodney Hood's minute restriction, but that, my opinion, I was wrong what I assumed the Blazers would do, but I'm stubbornly saying that they should still do it. The seg unit is, is messy right now. And the first unit was good enough to win this game against, uh, against the Rockets, against the shorthanded Rockets team. Uh, the, the starting five. You, I mean, you just look at the plus-minus. They were they were just way better. They won the game in overtime with with going with that starting group. Uh, we kind of thought the finishing group at the beginning of the season might include Carmelo Anthony. It would have been a mistake to play him at the end of the game. You needed the defense and length of Derek Jones Jr. Part of my start Rodney Hood campaign when he's when he's back to being able to play 30 minutes a night is that you can still close the game with the length of Derek Jones Jr. and and Robert Covington, but you give a little more balance in the first half to those two lineups. And one final thing I want to point out. If this was the year that the Blazers were supposed to limit Damon CJ's minutes and keep them fresh and all those things, right now they have not shown the ability to do that. And they needed both Dame and CJ on the floor, and they needed them on the floor together to be effective in this game. If the game hadn't gone to overtime, CJ would have played 39 minutes. The Blazers have to find a way to play them less and win. They have to. You—, you the reason why CJ played so much is cuz he was balling. Like he deserved he deserved the minutes. But in a in a typical game playing them 37, 38 plus minutes in a night is just not a not a successful way to go forward. The Blazers have to get more punch and it means you just got to figure out more ways to get Gary Trent Jr on the floor. I know they can't do that right now cuz they're kind of like locked into playing Carmelo all those minutes and then you kind of have to figure out when you have 20 minutes off the bench at power forward you kind of have to figure out the rest of the rotation with that set in stone but in in moving forward, like if I'm if I'm trying to give you the little details that give us the look of the big picture, the Blazers have to figure out a way to stagger Damon CJ and still have effective lineups. They have to figure out a way to get the um to get a a second unit that makes sense and has more complementary parts. A bunch of dudes who score in isolation is fine, but it has obvious weaknesses. They can't defend anyone and they just score one. They one dude goes and tries to score. They just they don't have a lot of people who want to share the ball. Some of those things are easier said than done. You can't make guys naturally better defenders. You can't make guys natural playmakers who have played 8 and 10 and 12 and 18 seasons in the league. But the Blazers, the challenge of the coaching staff is to find balance. I've said this a bunch and I'll say it again here. The decision that coaches make each night is who plays and when. And figuring out who plays and when and who plays with whom is Terry just needs to, he needs to find a balance that works. Starting lineup looks like it's pretty good but maybe you sacrifice a little bit of that to make the second unit make more sense. That's, to me, after two games, those are my biggest takeaways. Like I said, we got mailbag Monday tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Sunday afternoon or on Monday morning, Monday afternoon, send me a tweet at Rich on Twitter. Uh, I'll send out a call for questions around 9 a.m. Pacific time or send me an email if you're not someone who uses Twitter, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Mailbag Monday coming at you next in your feed. So if you're listening to this and you want to get involved, that's how you do it. Like I said, Jason Quick joining the show earlier later this week, uh, Tuesday evening for Wednesday's show. So be sure to check that out. Come back for more Locked on Blazers all week long. The only Blazers podcast that's coming at you with this regularity. So tell your friends about it. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.